This is the Late Round Podcast with your host, JJ Zacharisa. What's up, everyone? It's JJ Zacharyson, the editor-in-chief over at NumberFire.com, and this is episode 104 of the Late Round Podcast, one of the many shows that are part of the NumberFire Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in. The conversation around Tuesday's podcast on running back value was awesome. It's why I do these podcasts. I don't want to just do shows where you guys get picks or rankings or things that don't really make you think. That's not how you engage and get the most out of football and fantasy football. Anytime I do a show like that, I get great takes from listeners and analysts, some that I agree with and some that I disagree with. There's nothing wrong with that. But I do want to talk about something that seems to happen a lot with football discussions, and that's a general lack of context when discussing a very specific topic. For the record, this is me just spitballing to open up the show, so take it for what it's worth. During these mailbag intros, I like to just talk about whatever football-related topic was on my mind throughout the week. But let's just use this running back topic as an example. I say that running backs aren't as valuable as the consensus thinks, and others say that they are. That's fine. Without opinions, the world would be pretty dull. So I ask, well, why do you think running backs are super important? And I'll get answers usually that are film-based. I'm not referring to anyone in particular here, just to be clear. I've talked about this topic of running backs for years and have had many, many conversations with people about it. So I don't want anyone thinking that I'm calling them or someone that they know out. I'm not. And just to be clear also, a lot of these people who are responding to me are better at watching film than I am. They see things that I can't see, and that's really helpful to me. These film-based answers, though, don't actually provide full-blown context. For instance, if you say a running back is important because of play-action passing, because linebackers and safeties bite on a perceived run, and therefore running the ball is important, I can't get behind that. And it's because there's no context for something like that. In order for this to be proved truthful, you have to analyze the opposite scenarios. Scenarios where a team hasn't run the ball or hasn't done so effectively and then show with a large enough sample size how play-action passing is different. If someone is going to say that running the ball well tires out a defense and therefore makes an offense overall more efficient, then there needs to be examples where an offense isn't running the ball well and therefore defenses aren't tired and that's why teams aren't more efficient. Having context is everything with analysis. I can say this running back is a good pass blocker, but what's the actual impact of a pass block? What's the difference between the best pass blocker in the NFL and the worst one, and what does that do to a team's bottom line? Those, to me, are the questions we should be asking. Simply saying, this guy can't pass block and therefore he shouldn't be on the field, that doesn't do it for me. And it shouldn't do it for you unless you know the general impact good versus bad pass blocking by a running back has. These are all very complicated things to tackle. I totally understand that. And I'm not saying I have the answers to these questions. But I do think that data can help us answer these questions because data can look at many more scenarios than our eyes can. That's what's been on my mind this week. Some of you have had things on yours this week as well, which is why you sent me in some questions for this week's mailbag show. But before we dig in, I wanted to send a reminder that FanDuel is bringing bingo back for NBA All-Star Saturday night. Pick up your free All-Star bingo card and follow along during Saturday's skill challenge, three-point contest, and slam dunk competition. Just hit five props in a row to win a share of $25,000 in prizes. First place gets 1000 bucks and everyone who hits bingo wins a prize. For more info about All-Star Bingo and to get a free card of your own, visit fanduel.com NBA. That's fanduel.com NBA. Now let's get to these questions. This first one's from Twitter, at UKLG1991. Hey JJ, mailbag question. Can you talk about Dynasty startup auction strategy? 14 teams, one quarterback, remaining budget goes to FOB. 
Thanks. So let's first look at the remaining budget aspect that goes to FOB. I think people generally overrate free agent auction budget in startup drafts like this one, especially in deep leagues like a 14-team dynasty. FOB is there for waiver wire moves, but with a thinner waiver wire because there are deeper rosters, you're not going to need that FOB as much. Leave some, but don't feel the need to leave a ton. Regarding the actual auction, you should approach it and think about it not a ton differently than you would a redraft auction. I mean that from the angle of tiering your players and then getting a good read on market value given those tiers and given consensus rankings. If you've got David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell in the same tier and Le'Veon Bell goes for $50, then expect David Johnson to also go for $50. It's hard to give you anything super definitive here because I don't know the league structure or dollar amount each team is getting, but that's the first and most important thing to remember, to tier and to judge a player's value based on how the market looks throughout the draft. I'd also still go with a fairly starzy and scrubby approach too. Maybe get a couple of elite dudes and then see how things shake up from there. I don't think you should overthink things and think that this is vastly different than a redraft league. I mean, of course that it is because you're going to be able to keep these guys year over year, but I tend to still play for the now in a dynasty league because I'm a firm believer that you can compete every single year in those things. And I think people build up for these big two or three year runs without realizing variance is a very real thing in fantasy football. Like, the Steelers may be the most talented team in football, let's just say that for argument purposes, but the NFL playoffs have a ton of natural variants. If they lose, it's not surprising even if they're talented. That's even more so the case in fantasy football. So remember to play the market by tiering players, remember to not feel the need to save a ton for your fob, and remember to play for the now. Keep age in mind and try to find as many undervalued players as you possibly can who haven't truly broken out yet, but don't overthink it overall. This next one says, JJ, is there a defensive position that decreases an offensive net expected points total, therefore making that position more important? My hypothesis on it would be that since quarterbacks and wide receivers have higher NEP totals than running backs, then cornerbacks should decrease an offense's NEP more than, say, defensive linemen or linebackers. If so, shouldn't corners dominate the top of the draft more than they do? Love the show. I've learned a lot. Rob in Pittsburgh. So this question is obviously a reaction to Tuesday's podcast. If you haven't listened to Tuesday's podcast, stop this now, go listen to that podcast, and then come back here and listen to this answer. I first want to say that net expected points doesn't measure individual defensive performance. It hypothetically could based on play-by-play -play data, but it's very hard to peg fault on individual players on the defensive side of the ball through that type of information. Now, next-gen stats from the NFL is doing a great job of making data worthwhile for individual defensive players, but it'll be wildly inaccurate for an expected points model. It's a lot easier on offense because you know who's carrying the ball and you know who's being targeted and so on. And of course, an expected points model is not going to be perfect because something like an interception isn't always a quarterback's fault. But over the long run, those types of things even out. And data isn't there to give you all the answers. Remember, it's to help you make better decisions by understanding things on a deeper level. We do, however, look at expected points from a team perspective or a pass defense and rush defense perspective. And you can correlate and find that pass defense has a stronger correlation to wins than rush defense does. And that shouldn't be shocking considering passing efficiency has a stronger correlation to wins than rushing efficiency. That means that cornerbacks matter, yes but teams are putting an emphasis on that position in the NFL draft. Last year, three cornerbacks went in the top 20 in the draft with stud Marshawn Lattimore being selected 11th overall. In 2016, three cornerbacks went in the top 11, including Jalen Ramsey, who went fifth overall. And in 2015, we had three corners in the top 18, Marcus Peters being one of them. On top of this, we have to remember that pass defense can improve with increased pressure on the quarterback. 
That's why you see defensive ends get selected highly in the NFL draft as well. And that's why I mentioned earlier this week that those two positions, an edge and a corner, should have a higher premium in the NFL draft because they're really impactful on that side of the ball in today's NFL. They're really impactful at stopping the pass. Everything works together in football. We have to always remember that. Me saying that running backs aren't as valuable as consensus thinks doesn't mean that I think that running backs are worthless. I would just put a higher priority on things that enhance the pass. And the same goes for positions on the defensive side. This next one's from Chris. He says, hi, JJ. Podcast is great. It's short and to the point. I'm in a 12-team full PPR dynasty slash eight-player keeper league. Keep your best eight, and then the draft starts in round nine. One quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, and one tight end. I'm keeping David Johnson, Zeke, and Travis Kelsey. I have T.Y. Hilton, Allen Robinson, Alshon Jeffrey, Keenan Allen, and Corey Davis at wide receiver. Would you drop one of these guys to keep Andrew Luck or just drop Luck and worry about quarterback later? Thanks for the podcast. I actually answered a similar question to this a few mailbag episodes ago where the dude could keep either Breeze or Garoppolo in a keep 12 players league. And as I said then, it's all about opportunity costs. Keeping Breeze or Jimmy G when 12 players are being kept per team means that you're keeping them over someone like Mike Wallace at best. So it's fine to keep a quarterback in that instance because your opportunity cost isn't very high. With yours though, Chris, you've got a lot of great options, like a ton of great options. I would hold on to all of those wide receivers and dump Andrew Luck looking for a quarterback later. Because not only could you hypothetically still draft Luck if you wanted to, which I probably wouldn't advise, but you can still find usable quarterbacks everywhere in a one quarterback format. And if you can't because it's a deep league, you can draft a couple of them and play each guy by matchup each week. This next one's from at Josh Ursley. Since players involved in the passing game are more valuable than run-only players, would aiming for the C-Mac and Duke types in the middle rounds be enough to sustain a solid weekly RB1 and 2 PPR slots and build around them? I imagine the floor is there for this. Just so folks are clear, and I'm not saying that you aren't, Josh, but just so that everyone's clear, the podcast on running backs from Tuesday wasn't about fantasy football. Running backs are still incredibly valuable in fantasy football. But to the question that's being asked here, it's always important to look at backs who can pass catch. Jim Saunas from Numberfire actually just published an article yesterday about how a target generates roughly two times as many Fando points, so half PPR points, than a carry does. So naturally, you'll want to capture players who are seeing volume through the air. We'll see what average draft position data looks like in July and August, but I wouldn't be grouping Christian McCaffrey with someone like Duke Johnson. McCaffrey's probably going to be a second rounder in fantasy football next season. But those pass catching backs can provide a nice floor in PPR formats, yes. So to answer your question, I think it's fine to look at players who can pass catch, especially given the value of a target. But I think only getting players who can do that and who aren't seeing goal line touches could be a mistake because you're not providing enough of a weekly ceiling for your team. Touchdowns still run fantasy football. This next question is from at exa underscore jeet. When is the right time to sell Antonio Brown? It's a lame answer, but I think it depends on where your team is at right now. If you're competing, I wouldn't be looking to sell Antonio Brown as long as Ben Roethlisberger is in the league, and he's made it known this offseason that that could be for three more years. If you're not competing, at least try and see what people would be willing to give up for Antonio Brown. But as I said before, I'm very much of the redraft mindset when I play Dynasty, so it would take a lot for me to give up someone like AB. This last question is more of a personal one. It's from at Samaj0789. How did you get started in your line of work? 
So if you guys don't mind, I'll tell you a more detailed version of my story and how I'm doing this as my job. I know it's crazy, but I didn't actually go to college to become a fantasy football analyst. Shocking that the University of Pittsburgh didn't offer a fantasy football program, I know. I went to school for marketing, and I actually did a lot of graphic and web design work in high school and in college. So I utilized that knowledge and I graduated and became a project manager at a couple of advertising and marketing agencies in Cincinnati after school was up. I had always loved math and it always came pretty naturally to me in school. Statistics were especially interesting because of my love for sports as well. But after four years of working in the ad agency world, I decided that I was sick of what I was doing. It wasn't fulfilling at all. So I thought about my passions and like a lot of you listening to this right now, fantasy football was at or near the top of that list. I then looked at the fantasy football landscape and I realized that there was a lot of rhetoric at the time around drafting quarterbacks early because the insane passing era was just beginning. But then I realized that this was kind of BS because the game of fantasy football doesn't relate directly to the game of real football. And so I had this idea to write an ebook on the late round quarterback strategy. And I called it the late round quarterback. For about eight months, I would go to work, work a full day, and then I'd come home and work on the ebook. I had no writing experience, but I was competent enough as a writer. And to be honest, that's probably the one area that I've grown most in since publishing my ebook. Looking back at some of my first articles I wrote legitimately makes me cringe. But anyway, I then published my ebook and I started grinding away on social media to promote that ebook. Twitter was such a huge tool for me to connect with other analysts in the industry, and it's still a huge tool for me today. You guys see me on Twitter all the time. It's because it's a great marketing tool. I've never seen an industry so focused in on one social media platform in my life. After my ebook published, I'd send it to any influencer that would read even a section of it. Anyone. And I would blog. I would write at least one post per day on LateRoundQB.com. And then I found some awesome writers who wanted to hop on board and let their voice be heard also on LateRoundQB.com. And I fell in love with it all. I loved going back and forth with people on Twitter talking about football and fantasy football, and I loved trying to prove narratives wrong through data analysis. I didn't even know that this type of life existed until I started doing it. After about six months then, I grew my readership a bit, and shout out to anyone who has been there from the beginning, partially because after the 2011 season, quarterbacks regressed in 2012. Or I should say, quarterbacks weren't as elite as they were in 2011 because there wasn't much of separation between the top tier guys and the rest of the position. That got me more eyeballs. I won't lie, the 2012 season is probably a huge reason I'm sitting here talking to you guys today. My strategy worked right away. And so eventually, after that 2012 football season, I got a call from Evan Silva of RotoWorld.com, and he wanted me to do a series on quarterbacks on RotoWorld. I still have screenshots of RotoWorld.com when my articles published because it was freaking RotoWorld. That was a site that I always went to to get news growing up for fantasy football. Evan really helped me get more recognition in the industry just by finding me and having that call. And I'm lucky to call Evan a friend now. But after the RotoWorld series, I did a few articles for Mike Clay when he was at Pro Football Focus. And then about a year after publishing my ebook and grinding away at content each and every night, I had a call with Nick Bonadio, NumberFire CEO, about becoming part of the NumberFire team. And the rest is kind of history. So I've been at NumberFire now for about four and a half years. We're now a FanDuel company, as most of you guys know, but a lot of the old NumberFire crew is still together just within FanDuel. It's really been a great ride. And to be honest, I hope I'm able to stay within this industry for my career. I really enjoy the work that I do and the people that I interact with. And having listeners and readers who are just as passionate about this stuff as I am is incredible. That's going to be it for today's show. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you've yet to subscribe to this show, do so by going to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, and Stitcher. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter either at LateRoundQB. And if you have any questions for future shows, you can hit me up on there or email me at jj at numberfire.com. Enjoy your weekend, everyone.